We are in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're finishing the chapter this morning, Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 39. And the theme for this morning's message, a warning against spiritual suicide. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we draw near to the throne of grace, we come to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And we pray that the message would come with special grace and power from on high, power from the Most High God, to transform lives, to change people from the inside out, to give them new hearts, and even those with new hearts, that we would be tender toward you, tender toward the leading of the Spirit in the Word of God, Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. The unfolding of your words give light. They impart understanding to the simple. Amen. When news comes that someone has committed suicide, that's a greater shock than merely hearing that someone has died. And it's also true when it comes to spiritual suicide. For instance... I wonder what the other apostles felt like when they heard or when they saw in the garden, Judas has betrayed Jesus. I was shocked last year when I heard that a Christian pastor and author Joshua Harris had turned away from the Lord and said, I no longer regard myself as a Christian. He turned from the faith. So Hebrews 10, 26 to 39 is a very, very severe, it's a severe warning and also a solution against spiritual suicide. So firstly, we're going to look at the problem, verse 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In 2009, news came to me as a friend called me and said, uh, one of the pastors in our association had died. I was shocked. I said, what? What happened? Was it a a car accident? And he said, no. Suicide. I said, what? What? And then as time went on, all of these very evil things came out against him, things he had done over many years. And then as as this came out, we started looking back. At least I remember particular occasions. It's as if I was blind to it before, but then I I saw all the signs, uh, flag posts, signs, that had happened, things that had happened in the past. Here was one, there was another one, 
warning signs that this guy was on his way to committing spiritual suicide and then eventually physical suicide. So spiritual suicide, it, it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't, it's, it's not always visible. It happens very slowly. So first you start ignoring verse 22 and you don't draw near to the Lord anymore. You don't have a prayer time. You start just pushing that on the back burner and then eventually uh, no longer a prayer life. And then in verse 23, you start ignoring that, no longer holding fast to the confession. You start questioning things in the Bible. You start pushing the Bible aside and start questioning the truth about Jesus. Just, just little things, just little doubts. And then verse 24, no longer give yourself to good works. Verse 25, you start forsaking the, the assembly of the saints, the gathering of believers together. And eventually you land in verse 26. You go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth and then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is ignoring verse 22 to 25 is no little matter. It's no little sin. Those are the first steps to committing spiritual suicide, to apostasy. And it's really bad if you ignore the gospel of Hebrews 1 to 10, and then eventually you exchange Jesus for the Old Testament shadows, as these Hebrews did. Verse 26, he says, There no longer remains any sacrifice for sins, as, in, as we saw in chapter 6. And, and, and it's not as if it's a, well, you're sinning in ignorance, you didn't know. No, this is a deliberate sin, verse 29, like in the book of Numbers, Numbers 9, verse 30 and 31. This is a deliberate sin. This is a sin against the light. And therefore, verse 26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. How can there be a sacrifice for sin? How can there remain a sacrifice for sin if you have rejected the only sacrifice there is? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And so all that is left now is verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And that was fulfilled in AD 70 when, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, the temple will be destroyed. And in Matthew 27... And obviously the Jews and many Jews being slaughtered and killed by the Romans and dying of famine and pestilence and so on. And Matthew 27 where the Jews called, His blood, His blood be on us and our children. And then obviously verse 27 is a fuller and a greater fulfillment in hell. In hell. When God destroys His enemies to the uttermost and forever in a fury of fire. It was bad enough for you in the Old Testament to break the law of Moses. Verse 28, you died without mercy on the evidence of two or, two or three witnesses. And that comes from Deuteronomy 17 and 19. But it's worse. It's worse if you reject the gospel. Verse 29, how much worse punishment. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Since the message declared by angels, meaning the law, proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, meaning the gospel? 
So please let us get rid of the nonsense that says the God of the Old Testament is this angry God and Jesus in the New Testament is only a God of love. How much worse punishment will there be for those who reject the gospel? As we see, you read the end of Revelation 14. You read Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 16, and you see the fury and the anger of Jesus Christ. And the reason the punishment under the gospel is worse is because you reject more light. I mean, seeing the, the knowing and seeing in, in the scriptures the miracles of Jesus Christ and Jesus renewing people and making them new creatures and then rejecting the Son of God and then rejecting the gospel and say it's not true. Now that's exactly what many people did. And that's what verse 29 warns against. Where it says people who reject that and say, no, nah, Jesus is unclean. Jesus is a sinner. He deserved to be crucified. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. Yes, they, they've trampled the Son of God. They've trampled him under their feet as you would wipe your feet on a doormat. They've rejected the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood by which he was sanctified. Now some mean, think that means the blood by which I was sanctified. Now I've trampled that blood. Others think it means the blood by which Jesus himself was sanctified. Like in John 17, verse 19. Uh, sanctified, meaning where Jesus said, Father, I sanctify myself or consecrate myself, meaning uh, I set myself apart to be the sacrifice for sinners. I think that the second meaning is correct because verse 10 says that everyone who has been sanctified through Jesus has been sanctified once for all. You cannot be sanctified by Christ in this context, verse 10, and then lose that sanctification and be lost. So this refers to the, bl the blood of the covenant by which Jesus was sanctified, by which Jesus consecrated himself and said, I consecrate myself to be the sacrifice for sinners. And this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. Verse chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, where Jesus said, I inaugurate the covenant, the new covenant through my blood. People who have outraged the spirit of grace, they've angered him. They've mocked him. They've offended him because the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus and these people reject Jesus. Now God, God will forgive you if you had thought, oh, Jesus is only a person and you rejected him. And then later on you repent. Uh, Paul sinned in ignorance and he was forgiven. And Jesus said, if you sin against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven. You thought he's just a man. But there is no forgiveness there's no forgiveness if the Holy Spirit has shown you Jesus is the one and you understand that and you reject him. Verse 29, you have spurned the Spirit or spurned the Son of God. You have outraged the Spirit. You've sinned against the Holy Spirit. There is no forgiveness, Jesus said in Matthew 12. How can God forgive you if you've turned your back on the only Spirit that can convict you of sin? So if 
after all God's drawing and wooing and speaking to you, you turn your back on him, then he will give you over to the hardness of your own heart. It's not as if you, you really want to believe, but God is preventing you. No, no. God gives you exactly what you want. You want to exist without God, and that's exactly what he gives you, an existence forever without him. So your punishment will be greater than a Muslim or a prostitute's punishment. Jesus said so. And this is what this text says, verse 29, how much worse punishment. How much worse. Jesus said that in Matthew 10 and Matthew 11. It will be more bearable on the judgment day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. You received more light. Luke chapter 11, verse 47 and 48. The servant who didn't know the master's will and was disobedient will receive a lighter punishment than the one who knew and was disobedient. Jesus said of the Pharisees, they are guilty of a greater condemnation. Greater condemnation awaits, awaits them. Luke 20 verse 47, James 3 verse 1. Those who teach the word will undergo a stricter punishment, a stricter judgment. Because you knew the truth, you knew the truth and you rejected it. So it is no light matter, it is no little matter to walk out of a gospel preaching church and to reject all of that. It is no light matter to reject Jesus Christ and say, I want something better. God sees it in a very serious light and therefore he will punish you heavily. He will avenge himself. He will repay. Verse 30, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Comes from Deuteronomy 32. So when God sifts his people, his church, he will spare his own and he will burn the rest with an unquenching fire. Verse 30. And again, the Lord will judge his people. He will judge. And he will sift and show who are those who are truly his and who are not. And Jesus said, when he separates the wheat and the chaff, the chaff will be burnt with an unquenchable fire. So do not think. I am safe in this gospel preaching church, I can continue living in sin. God will judge you in the church and he will remove you from the church. Verse 30, second part, the Lord will judge his people. That's what church discipline is about. It's a judgment. 1 Corinthians 5, last verses. It says, God, the judgment must begin in the house of God. 1 Peter 4 verse 17. Look at the seven churches in Revelation. Jesus came and he sifted them and he judged them. And showed who were those who belonged to him and who did not. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To be in the hands of God, it's a comfort for believers. A great comfort. Like David said, Lord, Lord let me fall into your hands, not into the hands of men, because you, you, are, you are merciful. Jesus said we are safe in the hands of God. No one can pluck us from his hands. But it's a nightmare for the sinner. It is a nightmare for the sinner. Verse 31. To fall into the hands of the living God. 
to those who reject Jesus. It was a nightmare for Jesus to fall into the hands of the living God when he died on the cross and took the punishment for our sins so that we need not fall into the hands of the living God. Now perhaps, perhaps you're afraid that you've, you've committed the unpardonable sin. You've broken verse 26. You've committed verse 29. You've, there's no more sacrifice for your sins. You've spurned the Son of God. You've outraged the Spirit of grace. Uh, and, and you're really sorry about that, and you wish for God's mercy and for His forgiveness. Well, the fact that you, you're seeking God's grace shows that you haven't broken those verses. You're not guilty. But the person who does verse 26 and verse 29, and they do not care, well, that's the kind of person that'll do it. They'll do it, they don't care. They don't care that they've rejected Jesus. And they, they have no desire to return to him. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say in way of by way of application is, if you are busy straying from the Lord, if you are backsliding, and this sermon does not bother you, you are walking on the thin ice. You're walking on the ice of verse 26, of verse 29. And you are very close to spiritual suicide. You are well on your way. But if the sermon bothers you this morning, well, that's good news, but it's not enough. Because conviction of sin and repentance of sin is not the same thing. So be zealous and repent. Plead God's grace. Plead God's mercy. Plead for forgiveness. And for you, Christian, you're standing strong, you're walking with the Lord, be careful, be watchful that you do not backslide. Because as soon as it starts, as soon as backsliding starts, you do not know where it will end. You do not know, will it end in spiritual suicide? Will it end in verse 26 and 29? Will you be Peter or will you be Judas? So it's better to not backslide at all. But to run back to Christ as soon as you've fallen into sin. Alright, that's number one. Number two, the solution. That was the problem. Number two, the solution. Verse 32 to 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the solution, first of all, is to look back. Verse 32 to 34. I read this story in a book um, called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy of a woman who had committed adultery. She left her husband for another man. She didn't get married to the second man, but moved in with him. And her husband kept on treat, treating her kindly, was really kind to her. It was very hard for him. 
but he kept, kept on being kind when she would pick up the children for the weekend. And uh, in the end, to cut a long story short, the boyfriend started fighting with her after a year. And she returned to her husband after thinking, I remember how kind he used to be with me. And she pleaded for forgiveness and said, is there any chance that we can get back together again and try and fix our marriage? And he agreed. He forgave her. They went for counseling. They were reconciled. Now, I'm using that illustration to say that is exactly the counsel the author to the Hebrews is giving his readers. He's telling them, remember what you had. Remember your conversion. Remember verse 32 of the former days. Recall that. When you were enlightened, think of that. You saw the light. You, you saw that Jesus is everything. You enjoyed the light of the scriptures of the word of God. You were enlightened. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You loved Jesus. You stood up for Christ. You were willing to suffer for Christ. Verse 32. You bore affliction and reproach. People mocked you as someone would be mocked in an, in an arena or like a clown on stage. People mocked you for being Christians. Verse 33, they scoffed at you. And you were even willing to become partners with those so treated, saying, I associate with those who are persecuted for the name of Christ. Even those in prison, verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison. Think of this, how, you, how your, your property was taken from you, it was plundered. People took your property, verse 34, but, but you accepted it joyfully. Why? Because you knew they cannot take away your real property in heaven, your real home. You thought of that. What about you? Think of your past. Think of your past. Do you remember when you were converted or remember times in the past you really loved Christ? You loved His Word. You loved spending time in prayer, being with Him, even fasting. You enjoyed praising Him with other believers. You enjoyed gathering with the saints, the fellowship of the saints. You enjoyed serving. You enjoyed sharing the gospel with others, evangelizing. Is it, is it like that? Today, is it still like that? Perhaps when you were young, when the, when the Lord saved you, you were a new convert. Verse 32, recall the former days when you were enlightened. But now that you've grown older, you've got other interests. Jesus is no longer everything to you. Why have you turned away? Why have you chosen your own pleasures above the Son of God? Perhaps even choosing sin above Christ. Why have you started fearing people, what they will think? Why have you sought the approval of men? And yet in, in times past, you were fearless. You stood up for Christ. What has gone wrong? What has gone wrong that you have become ashamed of Jesus? Look back. Remember how things were. And repent. Repent. Be like the prodigal son who sat there and he remembered how things were at his father's house. I had more than enough. Be like the church in Ephesus. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Return to your first love. 
And then not only look back, but also look forward. Verse 35 to 39. So imagine you're running a marathon and your, your thighs really start burning and you want to give up. But then you think of the 1.5 million rand prize money and you persevere. You push on. And that's exactly how it was for these Hebrews. He tells them, look at the reward. Look at the reward. Verse 35. Therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Don't, don't throw Jesus away. Chuck him like you throw away an orange or banana peels in the, in the trash. Don't throw him away. These Hebrews, he's telling them, why do you want to return to animal sacrifices if you have Christ? Don't give up because of suffering. Persevere. Persevere. Keep on doing God's will. And God will give you the promise of heaven. Verse 36. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Just hold on a little more. Hold on a little more. Verse 34 even says, You had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted plundering of your property. Why? End of the verse, you yourselves had a better position and abiding one. Look at that. And just hold on a little more until Jesus comes. And he punishes your enemies in AD 70. Well, that was the first fulfillment of verse 37. Yet a little while. Really, that comes from the book of Habakkuk. And, um, and that was God's punishment on the Babylonians. And now it's applied to his punishment on the Jews who are persecuting these Christians. And then the final, the final punishment, obviously, the coming of Christ. The second coming, the final coming. We are still waiting for that. And then he says, if you are righteous and you believe my promises that I'm coming to punish your enemies and I'm coming to reward you, then you will live. You won't die. You won't be punished with the enemy. Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. But anyone in the church, anyone in the church who draws back, who turns away from Jesus... God will have no pleasure in him. He will frown upon them and he will punish them. If they turn away, as we saw in verse 25, not meeting together with the believers anymore, turning away, turning away. And today these applications are the same. God is dissatisfied with you. If you turn away, verse 38, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. False believers do that. They turn away from the word and prayer and the body of Christ. They are those who are destroyed, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back, true believers, and are destroyed. It's false believers who do that. They went out from us, for they were not of us. Because if they were of us, they would not have gone from us. But now they've all gone from us, that it, from us that it may become clear they were never, they were not of us. Not all of us. 1 John 2, 19. The true believer perseveres to the end. And his soul is preserved. He is kept by faith. He is kept by God. 39b. But those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are of those.
He began the good work in us. He will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. So which one are you? Are you the true believer, the one who perseveres? Or are you the false believer? You are spiritually lukewarm. You've already started backsliding and you are very close to spiritual suicide and it will all end in hell. So if, you, if you're the last kind of person, really my heart really goes out to you. My heart breaks for you as Jesus' heart broke when he wept over Jerusalem. And I wish you will not be so reckless with your own soul. I wish you could just see for a moment how terrifying hell is so that you would flee to the Son of God. You would flee the wrath to come. You would flee to Jesus. I wish for a moment you could see the glory of Jesus Christ in heaven so that your heart would be melted and you would embrace Christ by faith and you would never let him go. Never let him go. Even if you had to die a thousand times for his name. That you would hold fast to Christ. Now I wish these things, but unfortunately it doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, you cannot see these things now. You have to walk by faith. And that is what Hebrews 11 is about. But you can see Christ. You can see Christ with the eye of faith. You can see his life, his death for sinners on a cross, his resurrection, his rule and dominion on the throne of heaven, and his second coming. Pray for eyes to see. Pray for eyes to see the Son of God. Perhaps for the first time, or to see him anew, to see afresh. And that, when you see, it'll help you to persevere in spite of a difficult year, 2020. In spite of sin all around you. In spite of the temptations of the devil. In spite of whatever suffering you may go through at the moment. You may be going through. And when you see, when you see Christ continually in his word as you pray to him in the fellowship of the saints. Well, what hope and joy, but if you reject all of that, I think it's a matter of time, and I can say this confidently, it's a matter of time before you hang yourself on the noose of apostasy. Is it not so much better to keep your eyes on Jesus to the end as a dog stares and looks at its master until the master rewards it. Our Father in heaven, what a serious warning. Blood earnest. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be blood earnest when we search our own souls and hear the word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray for grace and mercy to be on your people and to call your own who have not yet come into the fold to call them by name and to make them your own. Amen.